0: This team may not have the ringers of Mr. Burns' softball team, but you know what? This Guardians team is interesting.
1: <laughs> they are that, that is for sure.
0: They are very interesting, they're very competitive, and before we get into it, just a quick reminder to all of you listeners out there that uh, the Guarding the Corner podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, Tune in and thisisbelieve1.com. And remember, like, comment, share, subscribe, rate five stars. Tell your friends and family if you don't, it's stealing. Yes,
1: and thank you to everybody that's done that so far. Uh, I've seen a few people that have been sharing our episodes and stuff. You guys are helping tremendously. So just know that we appreciate you, and it really does help. So, like, I know sometimes I share people's stuff, and I'm not, you know, sure if it really makes an impact. But I can tell that it has on our podcast already. So thank you to everybody that's done
0: that. Yes, thank you to all of you loyal Guarding the Corner listeners, subscribers, fans. Thank you to all of you. But <clears throat> we are 56 games into the Guardian season. They've, they've played seven games fewer than the division-leading Twins, but they're only three and a half games back. So I think that's a good spot to start with, kind of a, a state of the Guardians, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh we're deep enough into the season now um, that we could start to have these conversations, and um, it comes at a really good time. Uh, the Guardians are playing really good baseball right now. Uh, you know, two games over 500, uh, playing a lot better than a lot of people expected. I know offensively, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, the the division leading Twins uh, have seven games in hand over us. So uh, uh, yeah, that three and a half game difference can um, we can close that up quite quickly if uh, things bounce our way. So, yeah, it's a it's a great time to be a Guardians fan. And I think it's finally time that I feel comfortable as a podcast host to say, uh, you guys should get excited about this team, because I think that uh, postseason possibilities um, are very real now.
0: They, they are very real. And, you know, part of that is the, the recent stretch of games they've played. Uh, you, you look back – Going back to the end of May till now, they've played the Royals, Orioles, Rangers, and A's. Okay? Not the most difficult stretch of opponents, but what they did is they took care of business. And that's the important thing. This was the first stretch where they won consecutive series. Because it was either a win followed by a loss, or a split, then a loss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and for a while it was a sweep and then a sweep. And then, <laughs> so it it's kind of slowly went the other direction. So, they're they're stacking series wins on top of each other now. And the, they've won four series in a row. Right. You know, great and start. And when you're, when you're beating teams that you're supposed
1: to beat, too, that's a really good sign. Because um, the, the one thing that we always mentioned on this show is that, you know, we're the youngest team in the major leagues. Um, and the problem with a young team is sometimes you can play down to your level of competition. And this team does not do that um the, when when we're going into a series facing a team that we should beat um it seems like they've got the right approach and uh this past month has kind of shown that uh we can handle our business against teams that we should handle our business against
0: it has uh, these are the teams that you're supposed to beat. these are the teams that y- you come in you take two or three or three or four or all three or all yeah. four you know mm-hmm. Th- those these are the teams that you know you had to, you had to have these series wins, and they did. You know, right. th- th- you know, three of the four series they just played were at home. Fair, you know, they they started to climb back up in the, in the games played at home number because they've been severely lacking due to a very um, large amount of postponements. <laughs> uh, yeah, weather has not been kind to the Guardians, uh,
1: so we haven't played very many uh, home games.
0: No, uh, they up they, until they... that point, that is. You know that you look at the amount of games they played at home. They played 26 at home. They played 30 on the road. Uh, right. It, in comparison to the Twins, the Twins have played 34
1: games at home. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so we, we've got we've got some ground to make up, um, and those games in hand kind of make the, the the standings a little bit funky, because um, that that three and a half game lead is a little bit closer than it looks, um, in my opinion
0: it is. it's 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 much, much closer. And you see the twins, you know, they went six and four over the last ten, and the guardians were seven and three. So, advantage guardians, um, right. <laughs> you know, well, uh, the,
1: not to interrupt you, but this is what you said last, you know, the last podcast that we did was that, that's how you gain ground on this twins team we both said that a regression is to be expected Mm -hmm. um but you know you can't anticipate a free fall so the the key going in you know to this stretch of games was like hey if we could just do one or two games better than minnesota and get back over 500 we'll be looking at a a much different um scenario and that's exactly where we find ourselves um we've kind of climbed right back into things um since the last time that we aired so it's just interesting to see how it's playing out and and even though it's it's not happening quickly it's slowly but surely starting to balance out um and the guardians do have a a seven run advantage in the run differential department over the twins so slowly but surely things are starting to level out um i think that these two these two ball clubs are really close the twins and the guardians
0: they are they are really close then you you look at you know the health of the twins it has not been their friend lately um Kenta Maeda, uh, just a few days ago, about a week ago, uh, he he was pushed back, or he's set to resume mound work in two to three weeks from a week mm-hmm. ago. Uh, Royce Lewis is out for the year, you know, not good. Is the highly touted Twins prospect, uh, which I believe was his first game playing in the outfield, and he tore his ACL.
1: Uh, yeah, that's just the worst luck. That's
0: that, that's rough. Uh, you know, Jorge Polanco is currently day to day. They're without uh, Chris Paddock because he had Tommy John surgery, but that that was uh, that was about a month ago now. Uh, Randy Dobnek had a uh, setback with his finger. Y- you, they're just getting a lot of injuries. They're piling on, and yeah, and usually there's a point that comes for a team that has overperformed. Like the Twins Because let's be honest here They have They've overperformed Yeah, they're nine games
1: over 500 Nobody expected them to be here
0: The the talent gap It closes And when you're an overperforming team That's sustaining injuries Things change quickly I mean, just look at the White Sox The White Sox are another team That have just They've dealt with their fair share of injuries this year And, you know, add on the incompetent managing skills Of Tony Larusa and Oh, God um, uh, g- let's talk about that for one second. I know we're, we usually talk about the Guardians here, but uh, Tony Lewis has lost his mind, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen a manager make in-game in my lifetime. I mean, it's it just completely puzzling. Uh, it, just trying to do too much is just—that's what it felt like to me. It was the ultimate trying to be smarter than you are, um, and it, it came back to bite him.
0: I mean, they, they got to do something, right? You, you would think that the, the White Sox do something. I mean,
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the, the expectation was that they were going to kind of run away with this division and, and that the, the Guardians and Twins and Tigers and Royals were kind of going to be, you know, at least a tier below them this mm-hmm. season. And that's not really what we've seen. You did mention that they've, you know, had some unfortunate luck with injuries and whatnot. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. We, the expectations for this team are, are much higher.
0: And they are currently in third place in the division at twenty eight and thirty one with a negative fifty two run differential.
1: Yeah, not good.
0: No, that's not good. And you look at their injuries; they've had their fair share of injuries. Yasmani Grandal's on the IL. Tim Anderson IL. Eloy Jimenez IL.
1: hmm. They and, had that stre- stretch of ten games too, where Tim Anderson could not make a throw to save his life.
0: Oh, that that was rough to watch. Yeah, that, that was but- that was rough.
1: He had the yips, and their defense lost them a couple games early on this season, and, mm-hmm. and that, that really didn't help. Um, but, yeah, the you take the bad defense with the, the injuries and everything else, that um, they've just kind of – they haven't been who we thought they would be. That's for
0: sure. Yeah, they, they they really haven't been. I mean, you look at, you know, for example, another team that wasn't, you know, where they thought they would be in the Angels. They fired Joe Madden.
1: Yeah, they may they fired joe madden and right after he got the mohawk cut which is one of the funniest stories i've ever heard um yeah it, i i think that the white socks have to do something because you you can't you can't justify this team continuing to perform where they're performing uh, they're they're way too talented for this um and you can't waste you can't waste a year it's you know a lot of things can happen so uh, I think that they've got to make a decision here shortly and, and move forward because this just, like you said, they have to do something.
0: Yeah, like we knew there was going to be issues with bringing Tony La in for how far away he's been from baseball. He's gone from baseball for 10 years. I saw some person with the crazy idea being like, bring back Ozzy Gian. It's like, you're going to go from one guy who wasn't in baseball for 10 years to another guy who hasn't been in baseball for 10 years. Right. Did, yeah. did you not learn from... Hiring Larusa and what's happened here, right?
1: And the game has changed so much in ten years too. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like a, a normal ten-year gap. Like a lot of things have changed, um, and you just can't you can't step away from something for that long, and come back to it and just expect to have the same results. Like it's just unrealistic. So it, uh, it I think work. if they do move forward, they're going to have to move forward with somebody who is proven and that you know they don't have all these question marks surrounding.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the Larusa hire for the White Sox was controversial to begin with for for a multitude of reasons. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like a lot of additional reasons have surfaced to be like, why is he still their manager? I mean, I'm not complaining as a a, a Guardians fan, uh, no, no, watching no, him man. completely uh, mishandle his team and and make decisions which are crimes against baseball. But it, it's fun to watch as a Guardian but it, it, as
1: a baseball guy it's painful you're right it, it's hard to watch it is but you know uh
0: keep them uh, employed as long as you want chicago uh sure keep tanking because uh, that's what you're doing apparently uh three games below 500 a negative 52 run differential keep that yeah. up keep it yeah, up. White keep Sox. That up please <laughs> and, and and their struggles
1: are part of the reason why i say it's time to get excited about this team um because this division is not good um and when you play in a division that is not good uh you always have a chance you know and, and for for a, a young team like the guardians uh it's just like it, i don't know it's so exciting because i didn't expect to be here um i know chicago fans didn't expect to be where they're at uh you know vice versa we didn't really expect to be this optimistic this far into the season i feel like so um yeah it, let them keep him around as, as long as they want
0: Absolutely. Now, let's talk about some uh, some performances of some Guardians players, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start it off with the obvious. In my opinion, the AL MVP frontrunner, Jose Ramirez.
1: God, yeah. I mean, what what more can you say about him?
0: I mean, I, I tweeted the other day and got some backlash of every hero of Aaron Judge, and yeah, I have. Uh, Jose Ramirez is still my AL MVP favorite. And so, this is being a homer, or a fan, or the fact that I share a birthday with him. It is the <laughs> fact that... Uh, he is the best third baseman in all of baseball. I would even argue he might even be the best player in all of baseball right now.
1: Uh, Right now, I mean, how do you argue against it? I mean, he's, he's leading the major leagues in RBIs with 59. Uh, he has one less strikeout than home runs he has on the year. That's insane. Which is absolutely, absolutely insane, especially in today's game. Uh, when you think about long, launch angle and swings and misses and how that's gone up over the years and you know, for a guy that's just completely old school and just goes against that that trend completely. Um, And then you look at him in clutch situations too. Like in clutch situations, he's delivered time and time again. And when you're talking about, you know, MVP or best player in baseball – You have to be a guy that's impactful when you're in a situation that they need you in, and I mean I I can't think of one situation that Jose Ramirez came up to the plate and didn't deliver that we needed him to. Um, He's just been that good this year, so yeah, I have absolutely no problem with you saying that.
0: He's just he's so good. In addition to leading baseball, not just the American League baseball, in um, (laughs) in RBIs, he's also leading baseball in triples with four. I know they're not as common now, but for reference. Uh, he had five all of last year, and his career high is six back in twenty seventeen, and he has four in fifty six games.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's not like we play in a, a triples ballpark by any means. So uh, Cleveland is one of the harder places to get triples. I don't know how many of them have came in Cleveland, but no, that stat just shows though that like he's just he's finding gaps. He's and the the one thing about Jose that you always know you're going to get to is he's always going to be looking for an extra base. And I think that's why he's so good at, at turning doubles into triples and singles into doubles, and um, that that approach is is part of what makes him great. Um, he just always is he's always so quick out of the box. He he's never one to admire his work, if you will.
0: I mean, let's let's look at some some very other uh, impressive stats here from Mr. Ramirez. Uh, would you venture a guess of what his uh, batting average is? And then I'll say OPS, because the other two numbers I'm not going to tell you, is we're r- runners in scoring position. Oh, batting average, runners in scoring position. I'm going to guess, like, 385. You're a little high at 353. 353. Okay, that's, that's still ridiculously good. That's that's bonkers, right? You're closer to yeah. his, his batting average of uh, bases loaded. He's 375 with the bases loaded. Ah, see, that's part of part of where
1: my brain was. I just remember those grand slams from both sides of the plate, and I'm like, oh, God, he's been so good.
0: He, he has been. He has a, a 1.363 OPS with runners in scoring position. That's insane.
1: Absolutely bananas.
0: 1.875 with the bases loaded.
1: Yeah, and, and when you look at what he's pacing for, too, he's on pace for, like, 179 RBIs or something outrageous. But
0: he's chasing down that franchise RBI record, okay?
1: Yeah, I, I really hope he gets it, um, and, and it's just so reminiscent of another Ramirez in Cleveland who is you know, famous for driving in runs, um, so it's cool to see Jose kind of grow into that player as well, um, because Manny did that, he did such a good job of that year for so long, he was mm-hmm. always just so clutch at driving and runs in big situations.
0: Yeah, he was. You know, I, I was. I was always a, a big Manny guy, even after he he left him with the Boston and the the, mm-hmm. the Dodgers. I was still a big Manny guy because you know Manny's very entertaining. He's a very eccentric individual as well. Uh, uh, that yeah, eccentric's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, my favorite clip is him catching the ball, running up, giving a fan a high five. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: he's
0: hilarious. He Really, is the best. Uh, yeah, so good, so good. But that's. Uh, That's besides the point. Uh, Looking at Jose's uh, weighted runs created plus currently, again, it's only 56 games, I understand. It's the third of the season, all right? Right. But 186. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Which would exceed his career high of 166 in the 2020 season. If you're looking for full seasons, his career high is 146. 147 in 2018 is his career Mm. high. How almost, many
1: stolen bases is he at? Do you have that up right now too? Yes, he has nine. Okay, cool. So he's almost a double digit stolen bases too,
0: which yeah. is awesome. He's still being a, a, a he's still being productive on the base uh, base paths, and you know he's let's be honest, he's an elite base runner even though he doesn't have elite speed, and I think there's there's something that that comes with that. You know. Oh yeah. It's, absolutely you I mean base running it's an
1: underrated skill and he is he's absolutely great on the base pass you're right he's not a burner but he he's very efficient you know he he's his economy of movement is very good like he he, I like that phrase. he knows how to get from one point to another as quick as possible with his frame we'll put it that way Um, and he's very smart he knows the game and he knows the situation and part of good base running is just knowing when the ball's hit, what, what do I do if it goes here? What do I do if it goes there? And he always knows what to do. Like, mm-hmm. he, you don't need base coaches with a guy like Jose. He's that good on the base pass. And, and that's an underrated skill because you look at some of the other big guys that like, you know, you mentioned Aaron Judge and some of these other big boppers that, you know, they're, they don't. They get on the base pass. You know, they're not a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just a complete different element. For a guy like Jose that, that a lot of other guys um, that are power hitters you, you don't hear from a lot so it, it's it's an underrated part of this game base right
0: it, it is he he's incredible at uh, you know reading the ball after it you know comes off his bat where it's gonna where it's gonna land he he mm-hmm. knows the abilities of the outfielders and whether or not he can run on somebody or whether or not that guy's gonna get to it which can allow him to take the extra base or apparently uh four times this year two extra bases okay right right so you know having that ability is is absolutely incredible yeah i mean he's got
1: everybody in the league's respect on the base pass and and he's he is not a fast guy so yeah it just it goes to show just how good he is he's just such a student of the game um and he's just good at everything he does and that's why when you talk about best player in the game, like. to me, you have to be a five-tool player to earn that title. Mm-hmm. Um, I—that's I, just something that I believe in. Like baseball is a game where you have to be good across the board in all of those, you know, areas if you're going to be considered the greatest at the game. And I—I uh, I really can't pick one that is a weakness for Jose.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really it's really hard to to pick a weakness. You—if you, uh, you want to say his speed's not a, a strength, sure. He has—he sure. is—he's still quick it's not you know it's not elite speed but it's still it's still good speed and that matters yeah
1: absolutely it makes a difference um so yeah i, I agree I, I think that he's right now best player in baseball absolutely especially when you look at the the struggle that trout had after the absolutely incredible start he was up to mm-hmm. um like jose just hasn't had that yet this year and, and it might come you know it comes for a lot of guys that you know he might have a stretch where he, he really struggles for 20 at bats, but we haven't seen it yet, and that's that's part of why I'm totally okay with saying like yeah he's he's the best player in the game right now.
0: Yeah, again my AL MVP front runner, um you know just because it's he's he's incredible, and you know the people that I I think disagree with it or say it's Aaron Judge, a lot of them just haven't watched Jose play and. That's unfortunately what happens with, with teams, not just in, in Cleveland, but, but in small markets in general, and especially in, in baseball when they don't play for the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or the Dodgers. It's right. going to be those big market guys always get more shine because they are in the big market, they get talked about, they have 30 people covering the team at once. So when they all come out with the story being like, Aaron Judge's MVP case, you're having 30 different stories about the same thing, where you might get three about Jose, if yeah. that many.
1: It's an exposure thing for sure. Um, you know, the the Guardians aren't dominating primetime television by any means. We aren't getting national spotlight at all. Um, and that that makes sense. You know, we're a small market team. We didn't have high expectations this year. Uh, Aaron Judge plays for the, I mean, let's face it. They're they're the Gotham of baseball. They <laughs> they they are the team and right now they're playing outside of their minds good baseball. Um the this is the best Yankee team I've seen in maybe, you know, 12 years since they won the world series yeah yeah absolutely so that definitely plays into people's bias towards judge and sure uh, and and a lot of people think too like you know to be an mvp you have to be on a team that has you know postseason success or whatever i I think that's more so true for other leagues it is and less less true for baseball Baseball baseball's such a a numbers game you know like you you can you could separate yourself on a really bad team i mean look at mike or yeah look at mike trout i mean (laughs) yeah Mike Trout has
0: multiple MVPs, and he's
1: been to the postseason one time. Right, right. I mean, he does have the benefit of being in, in a much larger market, so that helps him as well. But, yeah, I, 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 I mean, think that those are the the main reasons that people aren't as high on Jose as they are on Judge. They just haven't seen him play. Um, and, and I think that once once the season goes on and if we do continue to be in contention for one of these postseason spots, you know, People are going to start to see what he's doing, and they're going to start to appreciate how great of a season he is having because the numbers right now are undeniable. It's it's just a matter of exposure. It's going to take time for people to kind of catch up to how good he is doing.
0: Yeah, he's, he's absolutely incredible on an absolute torrid pace, okay? Yeah, I think... and, and, and let's be fair too, James. Like anybody that knows
1: baseball knows how good he is right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. sure. We're talking purely the average fan. You know, they, that, the average fan might go, yeah, judge, of course, MVP judge. But no, baseball purists, like, they know. They know Jose oh, is yeah. MVP baseball right now. So, yeah, it, it's not exactly a controversial opinion that we have.
0: Oh, no. I, you know, it, it's it's average fans. It's, it's you know, people who, who cover teams maybe for uh, just a, a specific outlet who just kind of have blinders on or tunnel vision on, and that that's all it is. I mean—
1: yeah, it's what they're paid to do. That's fine. Yeah, uh, but the the average fan can kind of get sucked into that,
0: and with the team oh, like sure. the it's it's, uh,
1: it's easy to get sucked into, um, especially with the Yankees. So, um, but yeah, I I, I think that uh, he's doing good enough that even if the Guardians do go on a really bad stretch of games and you know don't contend, I think he can still make a case for MVP for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh... Let's talk about another infielder on this team uh, who's playing extremely well right now and, you know, having the opportunity to play on a pretty regular basis. He's played in 48 games this year. Andre Semenes. Good God, yeah, he's been great. He has been
1: fantastic. I mean, if if you asked me before the episode, like, who's the one guy that— the X factor for the guardians I'd say it's him I think he's the X factor he's the guy that like he does the things that might not jump off the page at you like Jose does Mm -hmm. um but but he's a guy who has come up clutch time and time again and he's so young you know and and uh we're watching him develop at you know during this season we're watching Mm -hmm. him develop into a great player and uh he's been really really good and uh yeah I I can't overstayed enough how good he's been for us and i think that 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 the lindor trade it becomes a lot more palatable when you see guys like him mm-hmm. start to become you know much better players so it, it's definitely exciting uh to be a fan of andre Cimenez right now
0: mm-hmm. yeah and there are some you know other guys you know still in the pipeline from the lindor trade uh which will definitely make it look better as time goes on just you got they gotta you know progress and get to the big leagues and we'll, we'll see what they do but Andre Jimenez is, is, is really good uh, right now. And every single time he does something incredible, you always just see a, a Frank Tank tweet, uh, getting all mad about it. Oh, yeah, uh, that's or, great. you know, all the Lindorks out there that are just being, uh, you know, shitting on Lindor.
1: <laughs> I have never heard someone call them Lindorks yet. How is that possible? I, I live on baseball Twitter and haven't seen that yet. Lindorks.
0: Oh. My friend, you need to be paying closer attention to uh, KFC and Clem and the We Got to Leave <laughs> podcast, my friend, because Lindorks. Okay,
1: that's so good. That's so good. I, yeah, I've been more on the uh, Baseball's Dad Carabas podcast train right now, so I've wow. kind of ventured away from my typical barstool content. Um, but that's great, Lindorks. It,
0: it's it. so it's so good. It really is.
1: But yeah, it, uh, why is why is Frankie such a polarizing player? I I don't understand that. He's such a lovable guy. Is it's, it just because of the Mets and the the nature of New York media and fan base in general?
0: It's the I'll say it's probably the perpetual, uh, eternal uh, negativity that surrounds the Mets, even though they have Steve Cohen as their as their owner now. And then you look at someone like Lindor, who he's. Um, for that let me put it this way. He's he's put on some mass in, in order to hit for more power. Okay. And mm-hmm. what that has done is that a lot of his a lot of his numbers have declined because of that. Because he's kind of selling out for power. You yeah, see him yeah,
1: he's under two fifty right now, and that's not typical for Lindor. To to see him 99th in batting average for his position, that's a little alarming to me. Uh, you, you see
0: sorry, him. Ninety ninth overall. But, yep. You see the you know the numbers he had in Cleveland before twenty twenty, and those are really good numbers. I mean, sure he you know two seventy 270, two seventy three two seventy seven two eighty four batting average in those three years. But twenty twenty he hit two fifty eight and struggled. You know. Yeah. Uh, right. He's you know he is twenty eight years old. This is his age twenty eight season. He's twenty eight. I don't know if he's yeah he's still twenty eight. I don't know if it was going to be 29 yet. But you, you see him, he's, he's heading for more power, sure, but it, it it seems like what it appears is that the focus on heading for power has affected production in other areas, mm-hmm. which has led to, I guess, kind of, you know, fatigue about, you know, his performance. I mean, he's been below uh, 800 OPS the past three years.
1: Yeah, okay, and- so definitely underperforming sure I'll give you that now this is an interesting question do you think uh, just hypothetical here if Frankie resigns stays in Cleveland and has Chris Vileka as the hitting coach and he has this guardians-like approach that we've had this season and less of a focus on power and less of a focus on you know acquiring mass and, and trying to be more of a power hitter do you think that Frankie would be playing better ball right now or do you think that this is just a normal regression that he's had in his career and it's not really dependent on any one coach or or anything like that
0: see that's that's tricky honestly it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to answer because you know we've seen other players on the Mets uh struggle as well I mean Mm you know because he wasn't being pressured to be that guy in
1: Cleveland like he hit runs in cleveland but he was never being pressured to be like hey we need more power from you like you know i mean that that i didn't sense that that was uh, any kind of pressure for frankie while he was here but as soon as he got to new york it was like okay we need you to hit for more power and and ever since that it seems like his approach has shifted it's kind of led to a regression and and i wonder how much of that's just that they're asking him to get
0: outside of himself in a way that he wasn't asked to do in cleveland I mean, it, it, it's possible. I mean, sometimes you, you look at, I guess his his approach at the plate. You look at you know what he's being tasked to do. The you know the hitters around them. I mean, the the Mets have really good hitters this year. Let's let's be honest. But you know you look at a lot of those lineups last year for the Mets. They were like, why? <laughs> you know, yeah. Jonathan VR, Kevin Pillar, uh, um you know they even have Robinson Canó for a short period this year okay uh oh yeah if you if you remember that you know other guys that have you know struggled uh, this year Dom Smith got optioned to uh, the Triple A, and uh JD Davis has been terrible for the Mets this year so you know it sometimes it's the performance of other guys i mean sure you know in the last 2 years in Cleveland he didn't have uh the murderers row of the 27 Yankees surrounding him uh <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I don't know. It's just, I I think what we need to see is more time, more more time, a a larger sample size. Uh, you know, I I know it's he's played 186 games with the Mets, but I think we need to see more time because you know he still played just about 600 fewer games in New York than he did in Cleveland. So I I think we need to see more. Yeah. to, to ultimately yeah. determine, but it's. It seems to me just from a broad perspective, selling out for power and, and home run power, not just power. Home run power seems to has impacted his overall production.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely something worth looking at. Um, it, you know, it's just a hypothetical. Obviously, we'll never know for sure. But it, it just seemed like as soon as he got to New York, something changed in his approach. And he just hasn't been the same guy since. But you're absolutely right. He's only 28 years old. Um, He's gonna play with the Mets for you know, probably a long time So like to to try to get to to say he's been a success or failure in one way or the other It's just way too soon for that Um, But I do think it's worth speculating because the Guardians approach is something that's you know caught a lot of people by surprise this year because we are not striking out like other teams are we are hitting for contact in ways that other teams are not Mm -hmm. Um, and and guy and guys are overperforming based off of that approach I feel like that that approach that we have at the plate um, is leading to some guys overperforming offensively, uh, just because it's just been something that has worked so well for this team.
0: Mm-hmm. It has, and and for what it's worth, uh, I can't remember the other team, but I I did notice that the uh, the Guardians and Mets were two of the top three teams in lowest percentage of hard hit rate. So I I do know the Mets are not uh, hitting the ball hard, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as you know some may expect, or like teams like the Yankees. But, you know, for just for what it's worth, they're not hitting the ball necessarily all that hard as a team either. So just something to to monitor as the season goes on for anyone who still likes to keep tabs on uh, Mr. Lindor over in Queens now. But, you know, just something to, to kind of pay attention to and see where they ultimately fall when season uh, is over, where the hard hit rate is, you know, compared to a team like the Guardians or, you know, the teams that are at the top of the list. But it's uh, something...
1: It- Go ahead. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. I was just going to say, too, but, like, it's important to remember, too, like, it, the Mets are thinking bigger picture right now. Like, mm-hmm. the, the Frankie's numbers at the end of the season are going to be irrelevant if if he ends up having a good postseason. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? If, 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 as soon as he goes out there and has a good series and, and lifts his team to the next round or whatever in the postseason, all of this stuff goes away. Um, so it, it's big picture stuff you got to remember with a guy like Frankie in a place like New York. Um, so it, is regular season not important? No, I'm not saying that. But um, it, he could still be a really productive and valuable player while not having his best regular season.
0: Yeah, and you know, you, you look at the the you know the Mets hitters. I mean, they have some really good hitters in the lineup. You know, Pete Alonso is incredible. Jeff McNeil is back hitting over 300 again. He looks like he's his old his old self. Uh, Eduardo Escobar has been a, a very solid. Uh, you know, contributor at third base. Mark Canna's hitting just under 300. Brandon Nimmo is very productive. Starling Marte was a great uh, acquisition. And, and, you know, J.D. Davis is kind of meh, but I already mentioned that. But, you know, uh, you know, Luis Guillorme has been pretty productive for them as well. So they, they have other guys to, to take pressure off of, you know, someone like Lindor. So Lindor doesn't necessarily have to perform for the Mets, for them to be successful. I I think that the difference, ultimately the difference uh, with Lindor in New York versus Lindor in Cleveland, even you can come back to Jose on this for this discussion, is that they have to, you know, in Cleveland, they have to produce for the team to be successful. If they don't, the team's going to struggle. and struggle mightily, you know. Yeah, I I, I agree. I I think the Guardians are taking that upward turn where they don't have to rely on just one guy to do it all. And I I think that's, you know, what we're getting on guys like, you know, Andre Jimenez and, you know, Josh Naylor has been incredible, (laughs) The dude's dude's fucking electric, okay? He's absolutely electric. (laughs) Josh Naylor's awesome. Uh, I'm so glad he's just, like, they just slotted him at every first base. They stopped pretending like Bobby Bradley was going to be anything and just moved on and went to Naylor. And even Owen Miller at first base, too. Owen Miller's been a very productive guy. He's second on the team in doubles with 16. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. Uh, And he just he
1: slugs the shit out of the ball, man. Like, he's always hitting gaps and hitting Mm -hmm. for you know, extra bases. And that's just so valuable for a guy because we haven't had that at first base, you know, where a guy like we've had power guys that strike out a ton and hit big bombs, but like <laughs> to have a solid contact guy that, that fills the gaps and, you know, it stretches out extra base hits. Like it's, it's really valuable. And you mentioned a guy for the Mets, Jeff McNeil. You know, he only has three home runs on the year, but he's batting 320. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, his slugging percentage, 442, uh, OPS, 812. Mm-hmm. So, like, there there are ways to be valuable and productive without putting the ball over the fence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think a guy like Jeff McNeil is, is somebody that Lindor can look at and say, okay, you know, I could just be good defensively and be myself and, and allow the game to come to me a little more. And I, I think that's what. You know, you mentioned Josh Naylor and Owen Miller. That, that seems what those two, do or two are doing really well right now mm-hmm. is they're just playing within themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they both know who they are and they play within themselves and they're becoming super valuable because of it. So, yeah, the, those are there's just a lot of guys on this team that are really exciting right now that I didn't mm-hmm. anticipate to be batting like they are. So uh, definitely Miller and Naylor are up there on that list.
0: Uh, do you happen to remember uh who i said if owen miller could become that would be fantastic i said this probably about i don't know a month or two ago oh who did
1: you say i can't remember
0: he he was a he was an old-time cleveland baseball killer he played in kansas city oh i do
1: not remember i said sweeney you said it wasn't sweeney
0: no billy butler Billy Butler, there you go. If he could be... I said if he could just be Billy Butler Light, he would be incredible. And he has been so far, he's been Billy Butler Light, and that's perfect. Yeah, I'm pulling up Billy Butler's numbers right now. The, the dude would just crush doubles. He wouldn't hit a ton of home runs, mm-hmm. but he would he would hit doubles, just doubles machine. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at him right now.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, this is a really good comparison.
0: You know, just, you know, he would always just hit doubles. And, you know, I know, it, it, again... Small sample size, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's only 50 games for Owen Miller, but he's on track to have over 50 doubles.
1: Yeah, and and his career career high for a season home runs was only 29. So he was never a guy that was hitting for crazy power. Um, So, yeah, that's a very good comparison. Um, If if he could continue to be that for us, then, I mean, that's much more than uh, I had anticipated for him. So, yeah, that's a really good comparison.
0: I mean, that's what we've seen so far. I mean, sure, he's had his struggles, but, you know, he's a young player. He's only 25, mm-hmm. you know. That's going to happen. You know, adjustments are made, then you adjust the adjustment, all that fun stuff. But 16 doubles, that's that's nothing to be like, you know, <laughs> it's nothing to be like, no, not a big deal. 16 doubles is still impressive.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if it was eight or nine doubles, you know, you could say, ah, a couple of those might have been lucky. But no, th- those are serious numbers. That, that That's a lot of doubles for this point in the season um so definitely worth noting
0: it is and he's he's been a very he's been a very steady let me put it that way steady um presence in the lineup he is 12th in the league in doubles that's incredible jose's ninth the leader is matt olsen with 24 Ooh, wouldn't it have been nice to have him here too (laughs) (laughs) the 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 brief uh uh, mention of the Guardians being tied to Matt Olson, then him to be, uh, to him to go to Atlanta hours later. Uh, that was that was kind of predictable, but funny at the time. Yeah. But uh, we had a text exchange about the next player I want to discuss. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to wonder which one here because we
1: discussed quite a few players over the weekend. We did.
0: <laughs> uh, the player I'm, I'm mentioning specifically is Ahmed am Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about
1: that, because I, I brought him up. Uh, I'm pretty much fed up with Ahmed Rosario. But you had some really good points about, uh, you know, why he, he has a role on this team. Um, but yeah, I, I'll let you go ahead and take over there.
0: So looking at Ahmed Rosario, you know, his, his numbers aren't great. I'll admit, okay, seven doubles, three triples, zero home runs. You know, he struck out 30 times, he's walked out, he's walked 10 is an on-base percentage that's below 300. I get it. I understand that's not interesting, it's not outstanding, and for what it's worth, I don't think he should be batting as high in the lineup as he usually does. Yeah, that was my big qualm. was Why is this guy still in the two-hole? And that's more than fair, but the way I look at Ahmed Rosario is the dude's a league-average shortstop and you need average players on your team in order to be successful. And I understand he's never going to be a big power guy. I get it. But having a guy that can, that is just you know what, this guy's going to bat 260 to probably 280. Mm-hmm. He's not going to walk a ton, but we've seen lineups that have guys that walk a whole bunch, and then you get frustrated when the bases are trying to load it. Okay. Or right. you, you see guys just not able to do anything right. when when there's guys on base and or not even swing, okay? We've seen those guys in, in Cleveland before. You know, I love Carlos Santana, but, again, one of the, the biggest frustrating things was running as runners in scoring position and him working the count. It's like, come on, dude, just hit the ball into the outfield and get the sacrifice fly already. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that angle. So – I understand, even though uh, Ahmed has zero sacrifice flies this year. But that's besides the point. Um I just bad at look... 260. It's not that bad. It's, it's, not, it's not bad. I, I look at it from a perspective of you need average players in order to boost up the lineup. In order to have the lineup be deeper. In order to have guys who provide a certain floor. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I think he is ultimately He's just a guy that's going to give you a solid floor. He's not gonna he's not gonna do anything out of the ordinary. And hey, he might. He's only 26. He could develop something and become more productive in one way or the or another. He, he probably won't. He's played a, a decent amount of time now. This is probably he is what he is. But I, I look at him from you need average type players in the lineup in order to to not have. A lineup where the bottom three of the order are you know Yu Chang, Bobby Bradley, and Austin Hedges, where they collectively bat you know one thirty. Okay, right. You you can't just have a black hole
1: in the lineup like that. Um, yeah, it's a hundred sixty-two game season. That's where I agree with you. You need <laughs> guys that you need guys that you know what you're going to get with them. Like <laughs> it, the 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 thing about his floor. That's that's exactly what we need. Uh, you know what you're going to get with Ahmed Rosario. It, the, the problem I have is him batting in the two-hole. Um, he's obviously not good enough to be batting there, in my opinion. But um, to be a guy that, like, can give a guy a day off, you know, a guy like Jose Ramirez, let him DH, you know, um, mm-hmm. or, or even a guy like uh, Owen Miller, you know. If Owen is, needs a day off, he could play second base or, you know, anything. It, so, yeah, I, I think he has a spot on this team that he could be valuable in. But I, I just think... the the experiment of him being a top-of-the-order guy needs to end.
0: It does. Um, It it really does. It's just, it's not... It's not been overly, I guess, productive. Um, Right. You know, I'm looking at his career batting numbers by, you know, spot in the lineup here. And he's batted eighth 74 times in his career. He's... 335, 373, 520 slash line. Mm. Um, that's that's his best over a, a sample size worth noting. Okay, right. uh, seventh, a, a little bit worse. 259, 295, 406. Okay, he spent most of his career in the two hole. I think most of the that's probably been in Cleveland. But yeah, um,
1: I, I just it I, might be a comfort thing for him. It it really might be. He he made you know having him in front of Jose Ramirez, maybe that's why he's batting 260, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe if he was lower in the order, he'd only be batting 240. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's maybe, you know, Tito knows something there that we don't. Maybe that's the reason why he keeps him up there. Um, I don't know. You know, maybe we are getting more out of him by putting him in the two hole and having straw in front of him, a guy that gets on base a lot, and then Jose behind him, who's, you know, just a dominant hitter. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just frustrating because... It, when you got a guy at the top of the order like that, like you, you want to see more production, um, and we're just not getting it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it, do I think he's a guy that has a role and a spot on this team? Absolutely, but I think that we need a more productive long-term answer at shortstop.
0: And I agree, and that's probably going to be either you know Jimenez if they move him back to shortstop, or you know Arias could be another option at shortstop in the future, right. but his his time is in the future. He's only 22. He he had his uh, his two games and eight plate appearances this year, but that was out of necessity. Right. Double headers and all that fun stuff. But, yeah. you know, you, I just look at a guy like Rosario, I'm like, okay, he's fine. You know, it, yeah. it, would be, it would be, I guess, a lot more palatable with Rosario's 260 batting average and, you know, kind of lack of overall production if Miles Straw was a little bit more productive out of the leadoff spot. Because if we're getting... Sure. If we're getting, you know, Straw, who's struck out 33 times this year, which is, you know, a lot for a leadoff guy compared to a... Yeah. It, it, he has 30 walks. Okay. To be mm-hmm. fair, he's walked 30 times, but he's only hitting two twenty two. He's right. not going to... He doesn't hit for power. Just zero power there, and that's fine. Mm. Uh, you know, he has nine doubles and a triple, but zero home runs, but that's expected. Right. It would be a little more palatable if, if Miles Straw was, was playing, like... Arrived in Cleveland last year, Straw, and not not 2020 Houston, Milestraw.
1: Yeah, he's definitely underperforming, and that's not helping the situation one bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you just, the, the top of your order, it's so important to have, you know, a, a, a powerful one, two, three punch. And, um, you know, he hasn't been himself in the one spot, and that, that probably has played into it a little bit as well. Um, but, yeah, you just can't have back-to-back guys at the one-two spot with absolutely no, you know, threat for slugging whatsoever. And neither one of those guys are slugging at all. So it's just frustrating.
0: It, it is frustrating. And, you know, uh, personally, I would probably consider moving Straw to the nine-hole. Mm-hmm. Because he is, he is fast, you know, having the nine-hole guy, you know, second lead-off guy, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, having him at the, hitting ninth, He'll get much better pitches down there. He'll get better pitches. And he can bump up, uh, let's say, Stephen Kwan to lead yeah. spot, sure. who is fantastic with, with working the count, working a walk, much like Straw works walks, but the difference is that Kwan's hitting 50 points better than he is. He struck out 20 times less than he has. He right. has a home run <laughs> this year. Yeah, yeah, he has an infinite amount more. And, so, you know, so just something to consider. I know the, you know, the stolen base aspect, you know, you know him getting on in front of Jose, very, very touchy, but he can still get on in front of Jose when the lineup turns over. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think at least for now, until he starts to, to hit for better average, uh, I think it would be really good to put him down there and let him get some better pitching and see if, you know, maybe that can breathe new life into him. And then if he does start hitting like the guy that you know we brought him here to be, then yeah, sure, maybe you put him back up there. But um, I, I like that idea a lot of maybe moving him down in the order and, and moving Quan up to that spot because it, Quan does all the things you need a lead leadoff guy to do, um, and he's hitting for average. And, and Straw, just he's not doing that right now. 222 isn't good enough in the one spot.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe Miles Straw is— Maybe he's not a full-time player. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe he's a fourth outfielder type. And that's fine. Yeah. That is perfectly fine. Okay? But you don't bat that guy leadoff.
1: No. No. I it, agree.
0: It, you know, barring some massive turnaround, which I really hope he does turn around, and I hope, you know, he starts, you know, hitting better, getting on base more, I do like his, his skill set. I do like that he is usually the polar opposite of what you see from, you know, around the baseball landscape, he provides something different. It's just, he's not, he's not doing it right now. And when he's not doing it, you ask, why is this guy in the lineup? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, with it, with
1: some of the younger guys coming up and and a guy like uh, Oscar Gonzalez performing, like he's performing, like it it would be great if we could use straw as a fourth outfielder. Um, But right now, you know, this team just, we don't have enough, Good, you know, good outfield bats. Like we, we don't get any home runs from our outfield whatsoever. Like, I, I think the leading home run, uh, leading person with home runs in outfield is Mercado right now. He has four, and that happened in the first like two weeks of the season. Exactly. So yeah, we're not getting much offensive production in terms of power numbers from the outfield at all. I think Straw would be a really, really good fourth outfielder. Um, but right now he's kind of in, he's kind of our number one outfielder right now, to be completely honest, you know, Kwan's a rookie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, he, we need him to be better, but yeah, if, if he was as like the fourth outfielder on a team, his numbers would be fine right now, but it, it, unfortunately we need him to do more than he's doing.
0: So let's get weird for a second. Are you ready? I'm always weird. so. <laughs> How about, start, to it. how about a starting outfield of this? Stephen Kwan, Oscar Gonzalez, Richie Palacios, with Miles Straw as the fourth guy slash defensive replacement. I like
1: that. I like that a lot. The, the only problem being Palacios hasn't showed any power yet. Um, right, but Gonzalez has <laughs> neither. Neither has Gonzalez, to be fair. He has, he has nine
0: doubles. Nine doubles but, in yeah, yeah, 16 is... games.
1: Yeah, he's hitting the ball in in gaps, and he's getting extra base hits at least. So he's still slugging. He's just not putting it over the fence yet. Um, But, yeah, I I like that outfield a lot. I I just – I don't know. I just feel like this team needs at least one power bat in the outfield, and we just don't have it yet.
0: I mean, it would be uh, a lot more palatable, honestly, if if Framio Reyes wasn't a complete waste of a lineup spot right now. That's um, part of the problem too. Is he just is not good? It, he has struck out fifty seven times in thirty five games.
1: Yeah, ridiculous. It,
0: I know you know a lot of you know people on Twitter. You know, fill out their lineups and Reyes isn't in there no. for next year. You know what I mean? Uh, and hey, he, that's a possibility we have to acknowledge. That he's is, got a, a
1: negative point nine WAR on the season, which is the lowest on the team.
0: That's that's just gross. Um, yeah. yeah, really gross. He has two doubles, three home runs, and, and 12 RBI. He yeah. has 10 walks, 57 strikeouts. And hey. And this was supposed to be our DH. He was batting fourth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is it's... what you got. And so you, you look at that and you have to imagine something different is going to happen. Maybe his injuries is played into why he's been so bad. I mean, his plate vision's been dog shit this year, but that's besides the point. Mm hmm. Uh, Maybe this time on the IL gives him a chance to reset and change his approach just a little bit. It could. I mean, it can't hurt.
1: He's you know he's under 200 right now in the year. Like he he can only go up from here. So I, I do think that some time off will be good for him um, because he just was not in the right not in the right mindset in the box. You could just tell he just was not comfortable all year long. Um, so yeah, maybe some time away just to kind of break whatever bad habits he had developed. Uh, and let himself heal a little bit. Maybe he'll come back and be more productive, but um, I, I don't think too many people are holding out hope for that now. I think that uh, it, he doesn't seem like he's the answer uh, at, at DH for us long-term.
0: That's that's something that has uh, crept into the realm of possibilities, and uh, you know that was not something I did not think was going to happen uh, coming mm-hmm. into this season. Um, I... I know he's got tons of power. He has the he has the ability. The he has the I guess skill set to be a guy to hit forty or even fifty home runs in a year. It's just can he do it? Not I don't know if he can.
1: Um, right. When he's not seeing the ball like this year, he's definitely not going to do it because um, that's where it starts. It starts with just you know being able to put the bat on the ball and seeing the ball in the strikes on right. And he just he's not. You know you could tell he's not seeing pitches and he's not comfortable up there. So. Yeah, we need to see more from him, but I didn't have him being under 200 uh, this far into the season, and batting as miserable as he's been in the 57 strikeouts in only 37 games is outrageous. Um, Yeah, wasn't on my bingo card for this year.
0: No, it wasn't for me either. So I I look at, I just looked at something, because I was curious, games uh, that Framiel Reyes has played in, the Guardians are 16 and 19. That's awful. Games that he has not played in that would make them thirteen and eight.
1: Drastically better without him in the lineup, so that's not good.
0: Something to consider. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's not a lot of games. <laughs> it's it's right. It's it's basically splitting. Uh, you know, their their you know fifty six game. Uh, sample or season so far, and mm-hmm. almost almost equal portions not quite but you get the idea yeah for sure uh but something to something to monitor something to consider going forward considering how how poorly he's performed uh this year
1: yeah there's not many good things to say about his game at all right now so uh
0: some time away will be good for frame though yeah so let's talk about pitching real quick uh before we go into uh you know, kind of overall outlook for, you know, the rest of the week here. Sure. Uh I, I think, uh, you know, Shane Bieber is you know, turned back into a, a form of Shane Bieber. He's not, you know, uh he's not Cy Young Bieber, but he, he has a below three ERA. He's striking out almost 10 a, 10 a game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his whip is, you know, down uh, at 1.1. 1. 1. You know, and it was concerning earlier this year when he wasn't Pitching as well, or pitching is you know with the same velocity, but you know things are trending in a better direction. Yeah, things are starting to trend in a much better
1: direction for him. Um, he looks like the ace of the staff again, which is really important because that's what we need him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he we need him to be the number one guy uh, in terms of pitching on this team, um, and he, he's starting to look a lot more like himself. Um, the velocity thing that you mentioned was concerning. He's been you know two or three miles per hour slower with his fastball this year. Um, I, I think that's gotten a little bit better, but it's still down. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing that makes me feel a little bit better about that is that that seems to be a trend league wide. It um, is. Shane Bieber is not the only one that's seeing that. I don't know how much that has to do with the baseball or whatever it might be, um, but he's not alone there. So it's, it's not too big of a red flag for me that his velocity's down a little bit. Um, Cause I think that he can get that back up. Um, but the, the most important thing is that he's going out there and, and delivering performances where he's going to get 10 Ks. He's probably going to go, you know, five, six innings and put us in a really good position to win. Um, but, but yeah, he, he's not Cy Bieber, but he's, he's now pitching like Shane Bieber. And, uh, that, that's what we need him to be right now.
0: That is, you know, another pitcher who's, who's pitched well is, uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, this year. Yeah. The only real knock on him is, is giving up the long ball. He's, He's appeared in 11 games. He's given up 11 home runs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, everything else looks, you know, fantastic, you know, from from that perspective. You know, he, he's got 55 strikeouts. He's only walked 18 guys. It, it, he's got, uh, you know, his whip is, is below, below uh, .9. It's at 8.91. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very, very impressive. Only allows, you know, five and a half hits per nine. Just the home run. Fix that. Yeah, that's the only part of his game right
1: now that you could really circle and say that's you know not great. But yeah, he it, when Bieber wasn't quite himself yet, M- McKenzie really stepped into the role of the ace of the staff. Like mm-hmm. he, he he looked like the best pitcher on this team for the early part of the season. Um, so yeah, he's been phenomenal. Um, I, I do still think that Bieber's going to end up you know being the ace long term on the staff, not McKenzie. Uh, but he's definitely pitching like the number two guy right now um and that's really important because it kind of gave Shane time to just kind of have things level out a little bit you know Mm -hmm. and he he wasn't feeling as pressured to to go out there and you know pitch outside of himself um because he knew that he had guys like McKenzie and Quantrill that were you know playing pretty good ball
0: yeah and you know you you look at some of the other uh pitchers on the staff that that have pitched well this year I mean uh did anyone see Connor Pilkington as being of, uh, you know, a pretty useful member of the rotation, you know, in the absence of Aaron Savali, Or, right. you know, uh, you know Eli Morgan and Sam Henches being productive arms, or, uh, in addition to, you know, Nick Sandlin and, uh, you know, Daniel De Los Santos. Right. All those guys have been very, very valuable to this team. And, you know, I know Sandlin... Does have his issues. His whip is kind of gross. His his FIP is also gross, but they've been very important arms in this, you know, for this Cleveland pitching staff.
1: They yeah, they were guys that going into the season nobody had circled, you know, on, on the roster, um, but they've been really really important um, arms in the in the bullpen and Pilkington in the starting rotation when we needed them there. Um, but yeah, like ha- having. A guy like uh, Sandlin and, and a guy like uh, I'm sorry, who was he? And Yell, that's his first name, De right. Los Santos. Like yeah, we weren't expecting all that much, you know, from two those two right-handed arms in our bullpen, but they both have ERAs under three, and it's you know they're pitching really well. So it, it, those were guys that maybe we looked at as low leverage pitchers that are you know actually pitching well enough to put. Into the game in higher leverage situations, which I, I I think is more than we could have said about them uh, earlier on in the season. You
0: know, it, it is because you know they're they're keeping up, or even possibly even exceeding the amount of innings that you know uh, Twitter's least favorite reliever Brian Shaw has. Um, yeah. <laughs> Where's he at? He's got what, 19 innings on the year. Yeah, you look at Morgan; he's at 28 and a third. Stefan's Stefan's terrible, but he's got 22. Sam Hatches has got mm-hmm. 20. Sandlin, 17. De Los Santos, 16 and a third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we a lot of a lot of innings out of
1: those guys that um, you know we weren't necessarily expecting them to to pitch great, but they've been very good in their roles. All of those guys <laughs> that you mentioned. Um, yeah, You did mention uh, Trevor Steffen with the 4.09 ERA who's had his moments uh, where he's just kind of completely falling apart. But the other guys that you mentioned are
0: all, you know, they're all doing what we need them to do in the
1: bullpen. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's important when you have guys out there like Zach Plesac laying eggs, Aaron Savali being completely unusable. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Steffen. Uh, Anthony Ghost being like, okay, this is a guy they have on their team. Um, yeah, and he he sees he sees the field uh, occasionally, <laughs> uh, you know. So you look at those guys, and you know, getting the production from the other ones when when you need maybe a bailout of Plesac, who a lot of times pitches one inning too many, or yeah. uh, Savali, you know, having an ERA close to eight,
1: <laughs> ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous.
0: So it, it that helps, I guess, uh, take the pressure off of everyone else a little bit when you have everyone else stepping up. So, please, ex-volley, Stefan, don't completely destroy your pitching staff for the next day or series.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's uh, it, it makes Connor Pilkington's performance even more important um, because those two guys have not been uh, very productive pitchers for this staff.
0: And I know Pilkington's had his moments where hasn't looked great, but I mean— it, we're using him essentially as a fifth starter. And as a fifth starter, I'm not going to complain about that. No, yeah, your fifth starter's always going to have moments like that.
1: And he's a young guy, so, like, that's okay, you know. We're, we're not asking him to go out there and fan 12 batters and, and pitch a complete game. Like, we just, we need him to be good enough to put us in a position to to have a chance to win the game, and that's it.
0: Yeah, go, go ahead, eat, eat, eat a few innings. Maybe you only pitch two, maybe it's three. Maybe, sure. maybe you have a good outing and you go six or seven. But even in some modified opener role, if that's what they use him for, I'm more than happy with that, okay? Yep. Have him piggyback with Eli Morgan to handle six innings of a game, okay? Yeah. Do that. Just give me six innings between those two guys. Set it up for the other guys in the bullpen. Yeah,
1: I agree. Uh, Because, like, guys like... Please sack at Savali right now, like the the best that we can get from them is like, just go out there and give us three or four innings until we can hand it to Eli Morgan. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and that's not good. We need better than that. Um, so if a guy like Pilkington can step in and at least be better than that, uh, then that's all we need from him.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's, let's look, uh, forward to the rest of the week here. Okay. Sure. Uh, Gonna have some late games the next two days and some later game, another later game later this week. Um, but play in the Rockies in Colorado uh, for this first series here. Yeah, we are in
1: Colorado. a Couple eight forty starts and then the three ten game, uh, which supposedly is on ESPN Plus. Um, you'll still so be yeah. able to see it
0: on. Uh, you'll still be able to see it on Valley Sports, whatever. Yeah, definitely. I forget which one it is here because I get I get the the Cleveland and the Cincinnati one. Uh, on oh my yeah, TV. yeah, yeah. Is it Great Lakes or I don't? So. I, I don't so care. It's one. a Valley Sports that shows the Guardians and yeah, and the you Cavs. All know what we're talking about yep. yeah, yeah, whatever one that is. Uh, but yeah, they're playing the Rockies. Uh, the Rockies stink.
1: <laughs> yes, they do. This is a se- a series that we should win.
0: You know, you you don't. Know, I don't like to throw around the terms must win, but this is a weird a series that they should win. Okay, They should, and
1: when you look a little further down the schedule, uh, we've got some better teams uh, that we're going to be going on the road to face. So mm-hmm. it's even more important that they, they start this road, road stretch off uh, on a positive note um, because it's a, a little bit of a grueling road trip. You know, they've got the Dodgers and then the Twins next. Uh, so you've got one of the best teams in baseball and then the best team in, currently in the division on the road. Uh, so going into Colorado, I think, like you said, you never want to say must, because uh, there's so many freaking games in the season. But I, I look at the Colorado series as like, okay, guys, we need to win at least two of these games. Yeah, take,
0: take like, like, like what we said before,
1: take two of three. Sweeps great, mm-hmm. take two of three. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But you cannot afford to go to only win one of two against Colorado, and then hit the road to los angeles to play the dodgers like you're walking into face clayton kershaw on day one against the dodgers like coming in there not having a good series against colorado uh would be unacceptable so yeah i hope the guys are focused and ready to go in denver
0: and i think they
1: will be because uh, like you mentioned before the rockies
0: they're not good no they're not they they are they are just not a good team at all <laughs> So Yeah, get, actually, just uh, looking at something here. Tickets are
1: as low as $5 for the game in Denver at 3.10 p.m. on Thursday, June 16th. You can get a Major League Baseball ticket for $5 to that game.
0: That's That's, incredible. Ins- that's insane. That is absolutely
1: that's, that's, insane to me. Le- you can go to a Major League Baseball game for less than a gallon of gas. It'll cost you more
0: to drive your car to the venue. Good Lord. I mean, for... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair that's the noon game on a thursday but still because the night game tonight nine dollars night game tomorrow night eight dollars okay
1: uh, still not good and i mean we're seeing that across the league so we're not just picking on the rockies
0: but, but oh, is that there's that one o'clock they're, they're mountain time in colorado so you know one one o'clock game still yeah one one ten still we'll my get point remains
1: today a game during the week but yeah even those those normal start times uh yeah, $8 tickets, $10 tickets, pretty crazy.
0: I mean, that's, you know, um, it's depressing when you see it just from an overall baseball standpoint of, you know, games that cost nothing. Uh-huh. You know, but at the same point as, you know, when those games are in Cleveland and I, uh, a consumer, can buy a, a ticket for a very low amount of money, I'm not mad about it.
1: No, not mad one bit. Uh, it's it's better for the fans, for sure, when you can get better priced tickets, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to shine a light on that because it really just kind of drives home the point that Colorado is not good, and we need to beat them. Oh yes, <clears throat> this abs- is going to be a tough summer for the Guardians. Like the the, the summer schedule is not friendly. Uh, there's some really big big market teams, uh, uh, divisional opponents on the road. Like there's some series that are going to be really tough for a young Guardians team. It, so I I, I think the series like the Rockies series becomes even more important. Because it's like you know we we're not gonna get any reprieve for the rest of the summer until about
0: July, so. It, it, even still, I mean, just just to mention real quick, their upcoming series it's it's the Rockies, it's at the Dodgers, at the Twins, versus Boston, then five at home against the Twins. Thank you, mm-hmm. postponement, rain delay games. Then right. against the Yankees for their annual trip to. To New York, where, or an annual trip to, to Cleveland, where it becomes uh, a Yankee game, essentially. Essentially. Where yeah. they're doing goddamn roll call in the bleachers at fucking Progressive Field. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> then at Detroit, at Kansas City versus the White Sox versus Detroit, then it's the All Star break. Yeah. There are some winnable series in there. I will say, there are. Mm hmm. But. Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. That's tough. Scary. Yeah. De- Detroit's been kind of a pain in the ass for the Guardians so far this year too. And and who knows where the White Sox are gonna be in the middle of July a month from now. It, maybe Tony LaRoos is not their manager anymore. Maybe he he did some Joe Madden fire up the boys magic. Maybe he did some magic that got himself fired, like Joe Madden yeah, the, did. Okay. That
1: that team can look a hundred percent different by the time July eleventh rolls around and mm-hmm. we're playing them at home. Um, so yeah, the, the this summer is going to be very interesting. Um, but yeah, the Yankees are absolutely on fire right now. We know about them. Uh, the, the Tigers always give us trouble and we have to play them on the road. So, you know, when you go on the road for a four game series, uh, for a divisional opponent, even if it's not the best opponent, you know, it's a four game divisional series on the road. That's not easy. So, um, yeah, I hope they take care of business and a sweep against the Rockies would be great, but definitely come away with at least two.
0: Yes, give give me two, give me two and you know then we'll talk about playing against the the Dodgers or, you know, the the Red Sox upcoming up. Cuz <clears throat> I I just think we need to one series at a time, look at it from that perspective and and just be like, okay, yeah, we have to with the team
1: as young as we are, like they they really need to take things in small bites. Like I really hope they don't start looking big picture because Like, even though big picture is becoming a reality for this team, I think that they need to keep, like, everything just kind of nearsighted and focused on, you know, just one game at a time. And and, because that's how this team is going to make it to the postseason. We're not a team that's going to go out there and hit a bunch of home runs and go on a hot streak. Like, we're going to have to grind. We're going to have to stay within ourselves. We're going to have to beat the teams we're supposed to beat and just, you know, do our damnedest on the road against some of these tougher teams because – you know we're not going to get much of a break with the schedule coming up so
0: no absolutely not N- not going to get a break at all um and with that it's it's time
1: for some trivia Ooh, i forgot to give you a trivia question today so why don't you
0: ask me first while i look up yours? okay that's perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> no i'm serious um <clears throat> We're gonna get into some Rockies trivia since we're playing the Rockies, okay? I like that. Okay, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a uh, give you a couple here, all right? Yeah. Just to give you some extra time to find a trivia question. Sure. <clears throat> Who is the all-time leader in hits for the Rockies?
1: Mm. All-time leader in hits. It's a hitter's ballpark. It is. I know that. Uh, Let's see. They've been in the league
0: since. Is it Todd Helton? It is. With 2,519 hits.
1: That was the first name that came to mind Todd Helton. Uh, I was leaning towards
0: him or Larry Walker. Larry Walker is third with 1,361. All right. So... Second is actually an active player. Oh, okay.
1: Who's second? Hmm. So that would have to be... Oh, man. I don't want to get this wrong right before we play them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jesus Christ. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really, I don't know who it could be. Who's even been on that team for that long? God damn. Um, I,
0: I I, don't know. With, I'm at a loss. With 1,505 hits, it is Charlie Blackman. Okay, I guess it had to be Charlie Blackman. Yeah. I, 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 I did allow some leeway for a possible answer by saying active player, not active Rocky, but it's, it is an active oh. Rocky. So I could have, I could have given you some other opportunities to go with maybe Noan Arenado or DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if
1: I, if I knew it was a active Rocky, that would have made it a little bit different, but
0: yeah, active, okay. active, active player there.
1: Okay. So for your trivia question, then why don't we keep it in Colorado? Okay. Okay. Let's let's keep it Colorado based here. Oh, I like this one. I really like this one. All right. Which of which of these players was not on the Colorado Rockies expansion roster in 1993? Oh, fuck. So, Andre Scalaraga, A, Larry Walker, B, Darren Holmes, C. Or Dante Bichette, D. I'm
0: going to go with Larry Walker, even though I feel like it's wrong.
1: I am going to let you know as soon as this dumbass (laughs) quiz bot (laughs) reveals the answer to me. (laughs) (laughs) I just lost my page. Uh, Okay, 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 okay. Here it is, here it is. Number, it was question number two, so start. There's so many friggin' pop-up ads on all of these. Uh, The answer is Larry Walker. Oh! Larry Walker was not on the original expansion roster in 1993. Darren Holmes, Dante Bichette, Andres Galarraga, all on the roster. So, there we have it.
0: Yeah, I just pulled up the, (laughs) I just pulled up the 93 Rockies uh, roster here. Uh-huh. Uh starting catcher for the ninety three Rockies, Joe Girardi. Joe
1: Girardi?
0: Joe Girardi. Of, wow.
1: That is a really interesting trivia fact.
0: I'm reading that down. And appearing in nine games at the age of twenty five at catcher for the Colorado Rockies. Eric Wedge. Eric Wedge as well? That's hilarious.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that it's been that long for the rockies it still doesn't feel like they've been around since 93 no i long. feel
0: i feel like they're a, a team from like 97
1: like uh, the Diamondbacks. Same. i i still look at them as one of the newer teams in the league and
0: they've it, been around for almost 30 years but yeah, it's crazy you know when it's yeah. an expansion team and when you're you know a, a child it just seems like they're never going to be um <clears throat> you know a, a team that's considered established and always be like oh they're, they're an expansion team mm-hmm. you know you, you look at the, you look at them and the the devil rays and the marlins and you just look at them and be like oh they're expansion teams
1: right right yeah 30 years is a long time they they've been in the league long enough now to have some real history so um yeah they they don't have the benefit of the doubt of being a newer team anymore 30 years is a long time
0: It it is, and it doesn't help that, you know, there are, you know, two of the other teams in there have have won World Series, the Marlins and uh, the Diamondbacks, while, Mm -hmm. you know, the Rockies have been to one and lost, but the Rays have been to two and lost, but it's just you you look at it and be like, okay, you know, some of these other teams actually have, have done the ultimate goal, and they haven't. This
1: is a fun little fact, too. In 1993, they only won 67 games. That's the that's the record for most games won as a National League expansion team. So that's how hard it is uh, to, to enter the National League
0: as an expansion team. I mean, it, it, expansion teams usually suck. They're usually yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it, uh, it doesn't matter the sport. They're usually terrible.
1: Uh, that's ex- especially bad, though. For 67 to be the high mark back then?
0: I mean, I, I'm looking, you know, I, I think that you just look at, uh, you know, some of these other sports, the only teams that really got any, you know, boost were the, the you know, the mid-90s Panthers and Jaguars, where the NFL rolled out the red carpet to, to boost them. Yeah,
1: them and then the, the Las Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They benefited from a, an expansion draft style that has since been changed.
0: Well, Um, you know, when you go to the Stanley Cup Final your first year, uh, they got to say we can't
1: let this happen again. Yeah, yeah. They they tried some things with the expansion draft that they didn't before, and uh, it it overcompensated. We'll put it that way. And
0: and so, unfortunately, usually the the gut reaction is to do the complete opposite and undercompensate. Exactly. Um, So you don't have uh, you know teams getting multiple first round draft picks in the NFL, or (laughs) you you don't open up this completely un, unheard of style of of expansion draft that has never been done since.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre what they decided to do there. But, um, yeah, so Colorado Rockies, 30 years of history already. God bless them. Can't, I, I can't believe it. I, I
0: really can't. And I'm never going to believe that they've been around for <laughs> as long as they have. Maybe, it's I mean, if they win something. Because I look at the Diamondbacks. They're, I don't look at them as, you know, they've won a World Series. I don't look at them as being... This established franchise. Same with the Marlins. No, and, yeah, you know, same. The, the Marlins changing their identity every five years doesn't help either. Over the past decade, no, they,
1: they need to cut that out. They need to find something and
0: stick with it. But whatever they have now, just complete side note. I know we're just off the rails here, but uh, I hate their uniforms now. Me I hated, too. I hate their. I hated their last edition of the uniforms. I know. I know. Marlins man was quite fond of them, but I did not care for those ones either. Yeah, I. I don't care
1: for those either. Um, i I mean I, I applaud them for trying like different color schemes and things like they've done but like they just they just keep missing and it's a it's a bummer because like Miami is so full of culture and stuff like you feel like they'd be able to get it right and it would be really great but they just can't
0: their their current logo just looks so muddy it's it's hard to read you know yeah. just it's you know logos that are just kinda of hard to read. Like, remember the old Lions logo, Bubbles the Lion, where you couldn't really tell it was a uh, lion? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that, uh, that was ridiculous.
0: That that's what I get out of the Marlins logo. It's just like, what am I looking at here? Then they have those black uniforms, it's got black lettering with some outline on top of a black Like, what are you doing? Yeah, they they just
1: they're constantly doing too much. They need to simplify things. Thanks, Derek Jeter. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jeets. <laughs> i love miami though miami's one of the greatest places on earth i i I feel bad because they 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 have a great really do have a great fan base down there like miami's actually a really cool sports town um especially with all like the mixed culture down there and stuff it's it's interesting like Mm -hmm. baseball is huge in uh in florida because it's a lot of cuban population Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 a team that, like, it should work down there. I, baseball should work great down there, and it just hasn't really worked out great for them yet. So, hopefully they have some success going forward.
0: Honestly, rebrand changes don't help, their, don't help build a fan base, okay? No, exactly. But they need to do it again. They really do. They, Everything about their current uniform set is wrong. Yeah, I agree. And, and I hate it. So... With that, I think this is a good a good way to put a you know nice little bow on this episode of Guarding the Corner here, making fun of and telling our distaste of the uh, the Marlins uniforms and
1: <laughs> it's a great well, way Well, they end stink. It. I mean, yeah, they suck. So I don't think we're gonna get much backlash on that. Oh no, they're they're, they're bad, and the
0: team's kind of bad too. So,
1: real quick, I do want to say you mentioned the other day uh, the Angels City mm-hmm. Edition uniform. How good are they? They are really good. They yeah, are fantastic. They, they, got, they got it right. I really like that. Uh, I liked the number in the baseball diamond too. I didn't mm-hmm. think I was going to like that, but that was kind of
0: cool. That was a nice little touch. Yeah, they, they didn't go over the top with it. Yeah, they they just it Real just fun. it feels California. It has those vibes, and that's the, that's what you want to do with a uniform like this. Yeah, it, it gave me Beach Boys
1: vibes, you know, like it, California culture type thing. So it, it hit. And that that's something I think that the Marlins need to keep in mind is like Miami's such – it's got such great culture down there. Like just listen to the people. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if they let the people decide that they would come up with something really good.
0: Yeah. I, I mean there's, there's nothing wrong with embracing some of the colors that they've tried to embrace and incorporate. Mm-hmm. But they're just do not, it in a different yeah. You got to do it in a different. way. Do it a different way. Do it a different way because yeah. they're not doing it right. Uh, right. I, I I don't know. Go go look at a whole bunch of '80s things and and, and do that because it's Miami's very '80s esque. Let's be honest here. Color scheme, color wise. Go go play yeah. Grand Theft Auto Vice City for a while. Just kind of like look around and see how everything is is put together there, template wise, and, and yep. come back and, and, and reset it. There you go. I, I think that the 80s
1: neon vibe is perfect. They need to em, embrace that somehow. The Vice City, yeah, that, that that's like a really good vibe. Yeah. I would love that.
0: Literally just copy the Miami Heat Vice uniforms that they had. Just copy those. Yep. I you like don't even have to be original. Just do that.
1: Yeah, do that. That I, color scheme's
0: line, beautiful. Everything.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. Those look really good.
0: Like, if you don't want to have pink, that's fine, okay?
1: So let me ask you this: Since we are a third through the, you know, we're a third of the way through the season, mm-hmm. uh, how about Guardians branding? How do you feel about the flying, the flying G baseball logo? Has it grown on you, or do you feel, still think it sucks?
0: It's grown on me a little bit, but it, I, I've made this comparison to you via text before. It just reminds me of the P wing from Mario. Same, yeah. I, I p wing vibes from it too. I still get that vibe. Uh, you know, I, I look at it. it it still feels a little clunky overall. It feels, okay, so to the, where I'm at with it, the whole set is a little just. It almost feels unfinished to me. Okay, where
1: I'm at with it, I've embraced the the diamond C. Mm-hmm. I like I like it. The guardians, the 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 regular guardians across the front of the jersey. Really like that. Like the font. I'm okay with all that. But this Flying G baseball logo has to go. We got to change this. <laughs> this one needs reworked and reimagined. It's still just too much for me. Like, it's something about it I don't like. It It just feels like 90s clip art to me from Microsoft Word. I mean, um, it, so it yeah, is. keep everything else. Keep everything else. I'm fine with all the rest of it. Just reimagine this lo- logo. I think they yeah. have the right idea, like, embracing the. The statue, you know, style with the wing and whatever, but the baseball's just corny.
0: Yeah, they just need to make some adjustments. Adjustments are fine; they are, yep. they, they, they really are, and that's okay. Because sometimes when you're going through a bad a redesign, you stumble mm. along the way. Yeah and, and, yeah, and the fact that it seemed like this stuff got uh, the whole rebrand, redesign, name change thing was a complete catastrophe from start to finish. Number one, but. The fact that a lot of it got leaked beforehand did zero favors.
1: Yeah, it didn't. You're absolutely right. The fact it got leaked did no favors whatsoever. But yeah, this is year one of it. So I imagine year two. We're going to see things tweaked a little bit. um, Mm -hmm. But but yeah, that's the only one I really have a problem with. Everything else with the rebrand and the name and everything, I really do love. I think it's pretty great. So Mm -hmm. I'm just not, not sold on the logo. But Other than that, I'm there with
0: it. It's a good start. You got some ways to go, and that's fine. It's got to evolve a little bit. It's got to evolve. It's got to evolve. And, you know, just like the team has evolved as a team in regards to how they have their approach at the plate, their brand, their logo, their identity has to evolve as well. That's a good note to end on. It is. And with that, just a quick (laughs) reminder, like, comment, share, subscribe, rate five stars, tell your friends and family. Guarding the Corner is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser. Tune in and this is Believeland.com.